If you'll take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. We just finished our series, long-running series, some 41 sermons on uh, the parables of Jesus, and I would like to preach a, a message especially directed to our dads today, but I know what some of you are thinking, well, I'm not a dad, or I, I'm not even a man. <laughs> well, um, this is for you too, okay? Because, <clears throat> please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. <clears throat> Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15, that's not the text, so we'll get to the text in a moment, but in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15, the Apostle Paul said, for though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, the Corinthians were tolerating a whole lot of would-be instructors, some of them were worthy, some were not. He went on to say, yet have ye not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus have I begotten you through the gospel." And a lady can do that. A lady can lead someone to Christ. You say, well, that would make her a spiritual mother, not a father. Hmm. Let me have you think with me about that. In the spiritual realm, men can travail in birth. Did you know that? That's what Paul said in Galatians 4.19. My little children, whom I travail in birth again, till Christ be formed in you. Now, no man can do that in the physical realm. I don't care what the uh, uh, politically correct crowd is, is saying and what some books are being put before our kids. But in the spiritual realm, men can travail to give birth to children into the family of God. And in the spiritual realm, women can be just as strong as men are physically. So I hope we realize the message is for everyone today. And in a very real sense, ladies, women, young women can become spiritual fathers too. The home in America is in trouble, deep trouble. And I believe the chief contributing factor to the dysfunctionality of our homes is absentee dads or very weak dads. And perhaps the greatest need in the church today is for dads to have their hearts truly turned to their children, to the welfare spiritually of their kids, instead of becoming self-indulgent. Do you realize, and I don't usually give very many statistics, but even though some men are in the home, they're physically present, and there's somebody in the home that calls them dad, for the most part, in America, men who should be functional dads are preoccupied with things outside the home. Their life revolves outside the home. And as a result, 17.4 million children today live in fatherless homes in the United States of America. And don't think that's just a, prom a problem in the minority community. Actually, the number is decreasing in the minority community, but it's increasing overall. Seven million American dads are absent from the lives of their minor children. Fatherlessness 
has been shown to have a direct link. This is not argued, whether you're a liberal or conservative. Fatherlessness has been shown to have a direct link to a host of problems, including, but not limited to, illegal drug use, sexually transmitted diseases, teenage pregnancy, juvenile delinquency, high school dropout rate, and attempted suicide. That's just for starters. 60 to 70 percent of dads, even those who claim to be Christian, regularly view pornography. And that has a devastating effect effect on their wives and their children. If there was ever a day when we need to do what John the Baptist told people to do in his day, it is now. The hearts of dads need to be turned to their children. I want you to get in the context, so we'll read beginning in verse 11, chapter 1. Talking about Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. It be a Nazarite. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. You say, Pastor, explain that. I can't. But the Bible says it. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him, before the Lord, in the spirit and power of Elias or Elijah to do what? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And if we want to be prepared for the Lord when He comes again, let me tell you something, dads, we're going to have to have our hearts turned to our children. It's time to do that. And someone has well said, as goes the father, so goes the home. As goes the home, so goes the church. And as goes the church, so goes the nation. Remind you of that today. You've probably heard that before, but it's so true. I want to give five spiritual priorities for fathers. And I gave you a reason for everybody to listen in today, not just dads. Five spiritual priorities for fathers that can be traced throughout the Bible. Remember how the Apostle John said in one of his epistles, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Let me tell you, that's true. As you get a little bit older, I'm in that category now. The thing that thrills me the most on Father's Day is not any gift I get received, but that my children walk in truth. Follow the Lord. Here are some priorities that we identified a few years ago in our men's ministry. I'll give them to you up front, and then we'll hit them one at a time. Here's the first priority, that my children experience a transformed life in Christ. Number two, that my children know what they believe and why. Number three, that my children develop healthy relationships. Number four, that my children learn to resist ungodly influences. 
And fifthly and lastly, that my children gain the wisdom to make right choices. Let me tell you, fellas, if you get a hold of all five of those things, if they become part and parcel of your, your spiritual DNA, you're going to raise some good kids. Let me read a testimony from a dad that really seized on these things. He's not here today, though he was raised here and was here for a long time. Many of you know, most of you know Brad Kennan. He built a home two hours away, and so he and Michelle had pretty well moved over there. But God honored these five priorities in the life of Brad Kennan, and at my request, he wrote this to me. This is his wording. He said, several years ago, I was a member of the Sunday night men's group at Friendship Baptist Church. This group was started by Brother Don Small at the request of Pastor Vradenberg. We would meet on Sunday nights, once a month or once every other month. One of the priorities of this meeting was to learn good ways to help our children grow up in the Lord. I believe Mr. Small found out or came up upon a set of priorities to help the men have goals for their children. Each meeting, these were written somewhere within the handout. And I've kept all those handouts. These priorities came to dominate my thoughts for my children, Brad said. I began to pray for my kids every day using these priorities. At the time, my children were very young. And as I prayed, I wanted them to know what Michelle and I wanted for them and how through Christ they could find true joy. I felt like if each child knew what we were praying for, they too may see the importance of these priorities. Most of all, I wanted each of them to seek to find and to follow God's will for their lives. I found Scripture to back up each priority. I would use these verses during devotions. After adding these verses to each priority, I created a poster. He, he was that serious. He, and I labeled it, Your Mom and I Pray. And then he listed those five things. He said, I, I put those posters under glass and framed and gave it to each child for Christmas. The children hung them in their rooms, and he told me just this week, he said, as they're moving from Bud Morris out there in Wake Forest, they came across those framed priorities. The children hung them in their rooms as a daily reminder of what God wanted in their lives. I think you know what God is doing through Brad's kids. You say, do we need to take it that seriously? Yeah, I, I wish all of us would. I hope that these priorities will help some other fathers here today or prospective fathers. So let's take them one at a time. Here we go. Number one priority, that my children experience a transformed life in Jesus Christ. And of course, the verse that Brad had, and the verse that comes to my mind most readily is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, he's a new creation. In the Greek, it's, it's imperative, let him be, let him be a new creation. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. There's going to be a change in every born-again child of God. The change may not be as dramatic in a young child. We'll be baptizing several young children here today. We said as a minimum age, uh, 10 years of age, we'll have some just barely 10 years of age being baptized. But you know what I ask each of them? Even if they're only 10 years of age, I ask them, how has your life been different since you got saved? What would your classmates say? I put some on hold until their classmates can tell me I've seen a change in so-and-so. There will be a change. There will be an ongoing change. And our goal as dads should be to see that and promote 
and foster that change. Now, if that's going to happen, first of all, dads, we're going to have to set the example. Amen? I don't have to tell you you're not perfect. And nobody knows that better than your wife and kids. But though you're not perfect, you can be real. And you can be consistent. I remember hearing this statement, even hearing a song, uh, this put to music several years ago. What you are speak so loud that the world can't hear what you say. That's true about your kids, too. What you are in the home, speak so loud that they cannot hear what you're saying. Oh, the power of example. As, as I see a lot of things in the ministry that break my heart, more and more so in the wicked day in which we're living, I marvel at several things, but one of the things I marvel at the most is that children who are ashamed of one or both parents growing up because they've been wicked, they've been permissive, they've been immoral, they've been abusive, even though they, they, they don't appreciate it, they resent that, so often those kids turn out to be just like them, even though they don't like them. You know why? Passion begets passion. We've got to set the example. Dads, we're going to have to train our children in the way that they should go. And you know which verse I'm referring to there. That wording is found in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. And if you want to find it quickly, you can. Otherwise, I'll just quote it for you. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that is not an ironclad guarantee. The Bible doesn't present it that way. But it is a general principle. And many of you have proven it. Train. Some of us have the idea that training is just teaching. Oh, no, it's far more than teaching. Let me talk about three things it involves. Training involves making sure your children do right. As Dr. Bob Jones Sr. is well known for saying, among other sayings, do right till the stars fall. Make sure your children do right. The dad who wants to train not only issues a command, but he makes sure that, his, that he follows through on its command. And you can tell children from a home where the parents don't follow through. Because in the store, the mom will say, be quiet, sit down in the cart, and they have, she has to tell them 15 times before they'll do it, if they do it then. Your children should respond and obey you the first time you speak. If they didn't hear you, that's one thing. But they'll play you on that too. They'll act like they didn't hear you. Make sure they do right. And this means, among other things, that sometimes you're not going to please your kids. If you're out to please them, regardless, you will be a failure as a parent. The Bible says concerning one of King David's rebel sons, not Absalom, but a, a full-blood brother of Absalom's, a guy named Adonijah, who tried to steal the throne from his dad at the last, tried to usurp it. The Bible says this about David's relationship with his son Adonijah in 1 Kings 1 verse 6. And his father had not displeased him at any time, saying, Why hast thou done so? Let me tell you, dads, if you've never displeased your child at any time, 
they're going to displease you. They're going to deeply disappoint you. There's a whole lot of things we could say about this. I just throw out some big ones that have stood out in my mind as we've tried to raise children for the Lord. Don't give too many commands at one time. Don't give them too hastily. Remember they are children. Aren't you glad God remembers our frailty? But then another thing so important, and I'm speaking to dads especially with young children, and praise the Lord, we've got babies being born in the church and babies about to be born. Probably the most important thing I could tell you is this, inspire and instill confidence in your child that he or she can please God and you. So often we, we, we say something in a fit of rage. You'll never amount to anything. Well, okay, that may be a self-fulfilling prophecy. We need to say just the opposite. Yes, you can please God. Yes, you did wrong here. But I have every confidence to believe that you're going to change and you're going to please your Heavenly Father. We've got to be that way, folks. We've got to control ourselves. Train them to do right. That's not enough. Train them to do right habitually. It's far more important to form habits than to lay down rules. When your child has done what you told them to do once or twice, they need to do it over and over again until it becomes familiar and natural. Thus, the habit of obedience is formed. And once that habit of obedience is formed in your children, it becomes the root of other good habits. That's still not enough to train them to do right habitually. Many Christian parents fall short of this third step, but it's critically important. Train them to choose to do right. Train them to do right. Train them to do right habitually. Train them to choose to do right. Do not rest satisfied with outward conformity. Don't be like, like that parent, you know, whose child said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm still standing up on the inside. And we laugh, but that's exactly what goes on in most homes. It's amazing how many outwardly compliant children... When they get out on their own, they throw off that restraint with a vengeance, with impunity, and they go pell-mell in the direction of the world. It's just like taking the lid off a tea kettle. It's boiling. And there's no greater challenge that we face, dads, than to win the hearts of our kids. That's why Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived outside of Jesus, said in the book of Proverbs, Son... Give me thine heart. Now, for your encouragement, let me just say that as you set out to do this, God is on your side. He's giving you those kids. You're raising them for Him. You're acting for Him. And He's a soft touch when it comes to getting His help. Seek to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Seek to win their hearts. It takes a lot of prayer, a lot of patience, a lot of love, 
a lot of tears. The second priority is that your children will know what they believe and why. Did you know the best manual on child raising is the Bible? And the best book in the Bible for that is the book of Proverbs. So in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Solomon reflects on his own upbringing in appealing to his kids, whether it's just Rehoboam or some of the other children he had. He said, hear ye children the instruction of a father and attend to no understanding. And then he talks about his own upbringing. He says, for I was my own father's son. He taught me. He gave me good doctrine. He gave me good teaching and said, forsake ye not my law. He's talking about David. It's not enough to teach your children what to believe. You know the inevitable question is going to come, why? And some of you get so exasperated with that when they say why, you just it's already automatic, it's a hair trigger default setting. Because I say so. And yes, sometimes they need to hear that. But let me remind you that the Bible says in First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, that we are to be ready to give an answer, a defense to every man. That includes your kids who asks a reason for the hope that is within you. So you need to be prepared to tell your kids why they should believe what you tell them to believe. And first and foremost, you need to be the one to tell your children about God. Psalm 44, verse 1, we have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us, did you catch that? Our fathers have told us, what work thou didst in their days in the times of old. Listen, Dad, if you fail at anything else, make sure you don't fail at teaching your children the truth about God and modeling it before them. I would honor my dad, who's been in heaven for 19 years. Dad was the 13th child out of 13. His mother left him when he was four. His dad was a very hard, austere man, had to make ends meet to provide for his family during the Great Depression. His sisters raised him. He was the only one to be saved for a time, and then he led a bunch of his siblings to Christ. So my dad missed out on many of the things that I'm trying to do with my kids. He, didn't, he never learned how to change the oil in his car. He never was a handyman. When I'd go home for a break, I'd have to fix things. He didn't know how to change a spark plug. And I'm not here talking about him. I love him to death because the one thing he did, he taught me the truth about God and he gave me a reverence for this book that I'll never lose. And he taught me more scripture that I've memorized than anybody since then all put together. Whatever else you fail at, Dad, don't fail at teaching your kids the truth about God. Do you realize that all abominations on planet earth spring from the corrupt fountain of the ignorance of God? All the abominations on planet earth. 
This is how Satan maintains his dominion. He preys on our ignorance. And while you're teaching them about God, teach them one more thing. And that is that the Bible is the all-sufficient authority for faith and practice. Did you know that your children will establish something or someone in their mind as the ultimate authority? If it's not God's Word, it will be their own mind and heart or something somebody else says that they think is cool and smart. Proverbs 28, verse 26 says, He that trusts his own heart is a fool. And yet we hear it at graduation every year. I mean, if you go to any graduation, follow your own heart. What? That's the worst advice they could get. Not what I wish to be, nor where I wish to go, for who am I that I should choose my way? The Lord shall choose for me. Tis better far I know. So let him bid me go or stay. Let God be true and every man a liar. God is the authority. Every other legitimate authority on planet earth is instituted and delegated by him. And so those familiar words, if you want to turn to them, that's fine. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Your children need to memorize these verses. I mean, as soon as you get Psalm 23 and John 3, 16 memorized, you better get this one memorized. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. It comes straight from God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for righteousness. That's inerrancy. That's infallibility and authority. But don't stop there. Verse 17 says that the man of God, and that's what you're aiming for in your children, that the men and women of God, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. You know what that is? That's sufficiency. The Bible is not only perfect, it is enough. And in it we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. And it is not so much the inspiration of the Scriptures that is under attack today in the mainline Protestant denominations, it is the sufficiency of Scripture. We're regarding other things, best-selling devotionals, Alleged out-of-the-body experiences. We're regarding those things with equal authority as the Word of God. God help us. You know, if we'll believe a lie, we'll reject the truth. All Scripture is given by inspiration. The man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Our children have got to understand that. Did you know, and my dad taught me this, I praise God for his memory in this as well. He taught me, he sat down with me and, and read Psalm 119, verse 128. And, and, and David said in that great psalm that talks about the Word of God, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, and all but two of the 176 verses make some reference to the Word of God. And in verse 128, David said this, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. And Dad taught me and my twin brother and said, fellas, we have the idea that a bias is always bad. You know there's a good bias. 
He said, you need to approach the Word of God the way David did, with a good bias. God doesn't have to justify Himself to you in every precept and principle. He doesn't have to prove Himself to you. You approach the Word of God. If God said it, I believe it, it's right. No questions asked. End of discussion. Let me ask you this. Do your kids have a high view of Scripture? Because there's a strange, novel teaching about inspiration that is gaining credence even in our evangelical seminaries. It's called a new view of inspiration, and it's the old infidelity. Skepticism. I must hasten. I wish I could dwell on that a longer. Our third priority, Dad's I would suggest would be that your children develop healthy relationships. Healthy relationships. And Father, you are the key here. Your children are going to have friends, and they're going to have friends from among their peers. So you need to guide them and establish some parameters and guidelines for that. And this may shock some of you fathers, but did you know that if you have a teenage daughter or a young adult daughter, she needs you now more than ever and more than her mother That's exactly right. If she is secure in her relationship with you as her dad, she won't have to have a boy dangling on her arm. Strong fathers, strong daughters. I've seen it so many times. The book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, gives inspired advice about this matter. We've talked about Proverbs already. Healthy relationships in Proverbs 13, verse 20, says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. You want to help your kids avoid the fools. And they're always the ones that are the life of the party, usually. I didn't agree with everything that Promise Keepers did, but there were some good things, good books written in that movement to, to men. A guy named Stu Weber wrote an excellent book, Tender Warrior. And in that book, he uses the story of David and Jonathan to point out the traits, especially four of them, that make up a healthy relationship, a healthy friendship. I'll just give them quickly to you and, and give you a scripture relating to the story of Jonathan and David. A healthy relationship, first of all, involves shared values. Shared values. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, that the soul of Jonathan, who was the son of, of, of King Saul in line for the kingdom, was knit with the soul of David, who became his brother-in-law. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. You know, what is the soul? The soul is that invisible part of us that combines our minds, our wills, and our emotions. Please notice, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say that Jonathan and David necessarily had the same interests. I think they had a very different interests. One was a prince and the other was a shepherd. But they had the same values. Dads, don't let wicked minds make you think that the relationship that David and Jonathan had was 
something wicked. It was not. It was something very holy. A healthy friendship will have, secondly, be characterized by unselfish love. Not only shared values, but unselfish love. The Bible says Jonathan loved David as his own soul. That is selfless. And I'm sure, in fact, I know that David reciprocated that love. When David uh, lamented over Jonathan, when he heard that Jonathan was killed along with his father, the king and the main general of Israel in battle, David lamented over him in the first chapter of 2 Samuel, and he said this, How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? O Jonathan, thou wast slain in thine high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. No jealousy, no competition, no demanding of rights. In fact, each of them, Jonathan and David, had yielded his rights to the other. Doesn't that suggest what Jesus did? He gave himself for us. He emptied himself just like Jonathan stripped himself of his sword and his bow and his belt as well as his royal robe and gave it to David in a solemn covenant. A healthy friendship, Stu Weber says, is marked by deep loyalty, number three. We don't have time to turn to the story again. I'm just trying to hit the high points. We've got to baptize in a few moments. But in 1 Samuel chapter 20, Jonathan actually stands up uh, uh, for David to his father Saul when David was supposed to show up at a family gathering. Saul was jealous of David, and Saul got so mad at his son for defending David that he threw a javelin at Jonathan. He missed. But Jonathan's loyalty did not change toward his covenant friend, David. So dads, help your children know what loyalty means first to God and then to others. The wisdom book, Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Even when others abandon him, a a true friend loves at all times. And when you look at the political scene today, we don't see that. It's not just a Democrat versus Republican thing. How often somebody will change if it gets them advancement, gets them more votes. They'll abandon friends you thought were principled friends. So you're going to have to take them to the Bible to learn that. Fourthly and finally, a a real friendship, according to Stu Weber from the life of Jonathan and David, involves real transparency. David and Jonathan were not ashamed to embrace and weep together. They made themselves truly vulnerable to each other. You can only do that with people you trust. Dads, teach your children to be careful who they unbosom themselves to. Your kids don't need to be sharing sensitive personal information on themselves and on the family on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure it doesn't happen. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, verse 15, Henceforth I call you not servants, doulos, slaves, abject slaves. I don't call you that. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. 
Jesus was transparent. He said, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. It's Christ-like to have real transparency. As I think about the day in which we're living, it's worse than ironic. It's actually tragic that at a time when we have never been more able technologically to stay in instant communication with more people than ever, we do not have closeness in our relationships. And COVID just made things worse. Dads, help your children form meaningful and lasting relationships. They need your discernment. They need your wisdom. They need your insight into human character. And I'll go ahead and say it, sometimes they need your veto power exercised. You need to say, "Uh uh-uh, not him. No way, not her. Fourthly, we need to have as a priority, dads, that our children learn to resist ungodly influences. Your children need to hear what the wise father Solomon said to his son in Proverbs 1 verse 10. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. One of the slogans we see on bumper stickers and elsewhere is just say no. That's not just true about drugs. It's true about anything that sinners try to entice us to get involved in. He went on to say in that same passage, run from them. God gave you two feet. You need to use them. Run from temptation. Paul told Timothy in the same vein, flee youthful lusts. Don't loiter around them. Don't see how strong you are. Run! Smartest thing you can do. We need to teach our kids that. And if they're going to learn to do that, they need to recognize the voice of Satan. I don't need to remind you, at least I hope I don't, the devil is a deceiver and he has many disguises and your children are going to need your help, Dad, to unmask the devil. Because sometimes the devil even speaks through believers. Maybe your best friends, maybe their kids. Jesus had to say to his chief disciple, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Because he recognized the voice of Satan and what Peter was trying to do to get him to turn aside from going the way of the cross. Get thee behind me, Satan. Help your children recognize the influence, the voice of Satan. And then lastly, under that point, help them to learn to avoid the edge. Stay away from the edge. One of the best counsels we could give our kids is the inspired advice of the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. Abstain from it. Don't try to see how close you can get to the fire and not get burned. The wise man said in Proverbs 6, 27, can a man take fire in his bosom and not be burned? One of my heroes for a long time was the late Adrian Rogers lived to be 74 years of age, great pastor, former president of Southern Baptist Convention. Godly man, very godly man. And he started out young, establishing godly priorities. He put 
across his bookshelf or desk in his dormitory. It wasn't original with him, but this is what he had. He who would not fall must not walk in slippery places. Wow. He who would not fall must not walk in slippery places. Teach your kids, don't even get close to the edge, regardless of what others do. Finally, help your children gain the wisdom to make right choices. I was reading this morning as I read through the Psalms to get my heart ready to preach. Psalm 34, verse 11, David said, Come, you children, hearken unto me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What kind of fear is that? Is that a cringing terror that God may zap you into hell if you don't do exactly right? No, that's not it. That kind of fear has torment. That's not the fear that John talks about in 1 John. The fear of the Lord is the reverential trust that we need to have in God. And the Bible says that that fear is the beginning of wisdom, and that fear will cause us to depart from evil. Wisdom is the one commodity your children and mine cannot do without. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 4, verse 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. With all thy getting, get understanding. If you have to leave something else out, don't let it be wisdom. You say, Pastor, how can I impart wisdom to my children? There's so much wisdom in the Word of God. I mean, it's just chock full of it. It's, it's deep. It's profound. It's all intertwined. Of, I mean, if I sat down every night and had a Bible conference with my kids, we could barely cover it all. And you don't have to do that. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, verse 20, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Just walk with your kids. Accompany them in all kinds of situations. Help them sort it out. Help them process things. Don't let them hang out with fools. Don't let them do it. Don't let them make fools their idols. Don't let them make fools their influencers. That's the big word now, influencers. Most of the influencers on the world scene are not worth listening to for five seconds. Cultivate in your kids a, a fear of the Lord. Walk with them. Accompany them. Point things out. When God judges evil, point it out to them. When God rewards good, don't fail to embrace that opportunity, that teachable moment. Well, I've got to wrap it up and baptize, and I'm looking forward to this today. Dads, I'm not saying this just to pump us all up. But you are pivotal in the spiritual development welfare of your kids. And you're going to have to have some intentionality to go against the grain. Will you exercise faith for your children? Oh, I'm not saying you can be saved for them. I, I know some of our covenantal friends go a little bit too far in that direction. But I'm afraid that some of us go too far the other direction. Faith on the, uh, for our kids is a very powerful thing. We can use scriptural arguments. We can appeal to precedence in the Bible as we intercede with our Heavenly Father on behalf of our kids. 
One of the things that really grabs my heart is when I read the story of Job, and in that very first chapter, the Bible says that on their day, maybe it was their birthday, I don't know what it's meant by that, but on their day, of each of his ten kids, Job would fast and pray for them and offer sacrifices for them. You think it might be a good idea if on our children's birthday, well, maybe we have to celebrate and eat the cake and ice cream then, but maybe someday that week we just have a day of fasting for that kid? Job did. And although they were destroyed physically when the Lord let the devil touch Job, I think he's with all of them in heaven. The original crop and then the new crop. You are dealing with a God who longs to show forth his mighty power on behalf of your children. Again, he's entrusted them to you. It was to a father whose child was under the control of Satan that Jesus said, as it's recorded in Mark 9, verse 23, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. He was trying to get him to exercise faith for his child. Dads, believe God for your children. Hang on to God for them. Even if they're away from the Lord right now, you can still cast an influence through prayer over them. Let's pray. Father, turn the hearts of fathers to their children again this morning, as you did through the ministry of John the Baptist many years ago. Just thank you for these about to be baptized, and a number among them are two dads. Praise God. Two dads who can make a difference in the lives of their kids and grandkids. Please give grace to all of us to have the right spiritual priorities for our children and, yes, for our spiritual children, for those we would seek to disciple. Please remind us of these spiritual priorities. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.